Silly Goose Gang Podcast. There we go. There we go, and we're back, and, and we have made it to episode 50 of the Silly Goose Gang Podcast, uh, which is crazy to consider when me and Chris started this. We thought we'd maybe get to two or three episodes, and what better way to bring up the half century than bringing back on Command Master Chief Jason Gardner. So, Jason, awesome. Thanks for coming back in. Hey, thanks for having me. We um we were dis- we started to discuss episode fifty, um around about episode thirty five. Shit, we, we probably better think of something cool. Um, so when we talked to you the first time, um, you know we we, we spoke for a while and, and everything was fine. But when 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 you started to tell some uh, some war stories, uh, you know the Taliban, the four day Taliban fight, yeah. you could see that you came alive like oh okay <laughs> you came alive so we went okay like why did we not ask jason back on and uh let him share some war stories so yeah he thought it was um that was one of the things that people really liked when people um talked to us message us about, about who we spoke to people saying oh, yeah, that, that was cool. that was awesome that 540 firefight it was just amazing so it's such a funny image taliban guy running away on fire yeah <laughs> so you, you thought you'd be the guy for the job come back in <laughs> um so yeah it's uh i'm not sure why people people love to hear uh, military guy stories. I think it's. Um, I don't know if it's like you know, war films glamorize it and people love the idea. But yeah, we we like we like to hear them as well. There's there's little you know, anytime you can hear somebody else going through something that's kind of hard, it's always definitely entertaining. And there's something that you can just just file away and learn from it. Yeah, but definitely. Uh, it's yeah. definitely a lot more interesting than talking about going through an excel spreadsheet and you know <laughs> well, accounting one of the things uh, that i took from from the uh from the first podcast with you was uh how i approached it so i changed my approach um and in, in terms of asking questions and stuff uh, probably asked the wrong questions at the wrong time you know so i think i started off asking I think because there was some stuff going on in America and I asked something about politics to begin with, it was probably the stupid place to start. So, you know, I learned from that. Um, like I say, we got onto war and <laughs> you, uh, your eyes lit up and you okay, I understand what Jason likes to talk about now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah. So, you know, as, as with everything in life, you know, I learned don't, don't ask somebody about politics probably from the get-go and... Uh, you know, don't don't put your head over a open horseradish. That's something you learn <laughs> as well, right? Oh yeah. You yeah, know, we're all we're all learning. So uh, yeah. So as where, where do you start talking about? Where do you start asking questions about war stories? Um, I don't even know where you start. What what would be? Do you remember your first um, firefight on deployment? Oh yeah, the first the first real firefight that I was in was in Somalia in 1995 when I was a, a platoon sniper, and uh, I, you know we talked about that one a little bit uh, on the last podcast, yeah. but I, I don't think we really dug into it. Yeah. And we were there to help the UN leave because this is 1995, and the um. The UN is was just like kind of ended, ending their humanitarian mission in Somalia. So the Marines got tasked with setting up all the, the, the protections so, so that they could get all their stuff and get out. And because we had uh, the, the capability of a 50 cal sniper rifle, uh, the Marines brought us ashore with them. And that's what we did. We were we were ashore in Mogadishu for like maybe three full we had the 50 cal sniper capability and the marines thought that would be a good deal to have that surgical you know ability to reach out to like 12 1400 yards and uh take out a target so we were able to augment the forces of the marines and and go ashore so we rode into the into the into into the beach there on these shuttles of these big hovercraft and you get they basically they've got like a 40 foot shipping container griped down 
And that means like kind of tied down to the deck of the hovercraft because the hovercraft is made to bring tanks ashore. But all of marine stuff is amphibious and it can just go there on its own. So they had this thing rigged up. So they cram us all in this 40-foot mill van. And then the shipping container takes off the ship. And there, there's no windows. So you're just in there, rocking, starting to get seasick. Finally, we land up on the beach. Beach party opens it up. And we push out to the our, our defensive perimeters that we took that were already inside the UN position. So the UN controls the whole runway, right? So we set up a base kind of inside their base. Okay. We And uh, I identified the, there was a bunker that, that was right there on the beach that I wanted to use as a fighting position that I identified from the imagery. And so we're like, okay, we're going straight to that. So we uh, I got like... I think there were seven other seals with me and we moved over towards that bunker and like, Oh, this is great. I mean, the thing is a cement pillbox and it's got these in it that are just, it's just perfect. Right. Except my barrel would stick through and then my scope was just looking right at the wall. Uh, yeah. So we're like, ah, okay. So, on the on the top of that that bunker, we built ourselves a sandbagged fighting position that uh, we we would use then. So that's what we wound up doing. We did that all night. Next morning, sun comes up. The UN still is controls the entire runway, so there really wasn't that much going on um, the first day because you know nothing had changed in the distance in the downtown mogadishu at night we could see tracer fire going in the air because there's always kind of little skirmishes and things going on out there the next the next night at 3 a.m all the manned defensive positions that had people at them on the airfield were replaced by armor so tanks pulled up and then you know, all the people were leaving and they just, when they left, they left everything. And then at six in the morning, all the tanks just pulled out of all the defensive perimeters and took off and went down to the new port where they were going to get on ships and leave. So there's like an hour where no one in Mogadishu really knows that they're all, everyone's gone. And then you know, you, you start to see people looking over the wall, looking around, noticing no one's there. And then they're just coming over the walls and going, you know, through all the buildings and stealing everything they can get their hands off. Now, they'd abandoned a couple other little bases that they had as well around Mogadishu. And there was another one that was on the on the kind of the hill because Mogadishu slopes up. There's a big hillside from the airport slopes up there. And there were just masses of masses of people in there, you know, looting it. They're pulling the roofing off. They're taking bottles of water and, uh, you know, food out of there and all this stuff. And this is going on for a little while. Then the uh, uh, the the clan guys, the different tribal clans that are kind of the, like the, the the warlords that are controlling Mogadishu start to wake up and realize this is all gone and people are getting this stuff. And we see a jeep pull up to a mass of people who's looting this, this vacated base that's a little ways away from us. And it's got a machine gun in the back and the machine gunner just trains the, the, the machine gun at the people and just starts shooting them. And he's just, he's just killing people left and right. And you can see this, you know, like when you throw a piece of soap into oily water, how it all just goes away. Everyone is going away from the gunfire. And then the clans took and held that base up there. And then more people were kind of coming down into this, this camp that was about 600 yards south of us on the south end of the runway, and they were looting that as well. But then a bunch of clans got that, and they got that all locked down. Now, my understanding of the situation on the ground there, there were these two main clans. One of them controlled, as, as it turned out, around 10.30 in the morning. One of the clans controlled the south end of the runway, and the other clan controlled the north end of the run runway. 
And it's completely worthless to control half of a runway, right? Yeah. So a few hours later, all these technical vehicles and the technicals vehicles are imagine like all the vehicles you see in Mad Max, like with guns. There's this huge, like two and a half ton flatbed truck that they'd put a quad anti-aircraft gun. And it's got like, there's, there's a guy sitting in a seat where they're like, turn it around. He's like, and we're like, holy cow. I hope that thing doesn't shoot at us. They had all kinds of uh, pickup trucks with uh, recoilless rifles in the back, jeeps with you know mounted with machine guns and all this. So all this Mad Max stuff is coming down the runway right in front of us towards the other camp, and tucked in behind them are like troops. All these fighters from you know that clan, and they're 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 like walking in lines the same way our infantry would move behind our armor. And so we're watching this stuff and I'm like, dude, I'm looking at this 50 cal sniper rifle. I got this basically a pea shooter against this stuff thinking, okay, uh, I hope they don't come after us. So they were really careful that they didn't ever point any of our, their weapons at us. They get within about 300 yards of that, base that's 600 yards to our south and they start to take fire from that base and they're taking heavy fire from the base and then they're taking heavy fire from a hillside that's up behind it and it turns into be a big big firefight to where that quad anti-aircraft gun was tracking up on the hill where that that clan had a, a headquarters up there and just Dunk, 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 just laying down incredible fires, crushing everything up there. They're shooting rockets back and forth. And then the guys are shooting back at them. The little infantry that were the infantry guys that were with all those big technicals, they actually made it into the first couple buildings and then they got shot out of them. And eventually they just gave up and went the other way. Now, while this is all going on, we're kind of on the other side of where this big firefight was at. So there were a lot of rounds coming our directions and munitions and stuff like that. But, you know, we, when we understood like, Hey, they're not actually shooting at us. This is just spillover. Okay. Then a little bit later, I see a guy, we, we start to take intermittent small arms fire. So, you know, and there, it sounds like a bullwhip when a bullet whizzes past your head and it, when it breaks the sound barrier, it makes that uh, a sonic boom. So this, uh, this thing goes whizzing by, or we're hearing crack, 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 you know, and we're looking around and these guys are smart. They're not out in the open shooting us. They're like, you know, back in alleyways and shooting from windows and stuff. And there's tons of buildings out there. So we can't see him. And then uh, one of the guys with me goes, Hey, or no, I was looking up at a built at one of these buildings on the hillside and I saw a huge dust cloud on a roof and I'm like, huh? And then rocket propelled grenade comes sailing by us. It's high. It winds up hitting the ocean right behind us explodes. And I'm like, Oh, okay. So now we're on, we're looking, you know, with our, our stuff for the guy with the rocket propelled grenade can't ever find them because again they're smart and people just don't want to die they don't stand out in there in the open with their rpgs you know so then about an hour later we see a technical which is a big truck driving up on the top of this hillside and it's got a big 107 recoilless rifle on the back and it pulls behind i see it i see it in an alleyway i see it in another alleyway and then i don't see it and then I see a big dust cloud and then boom, they shot long and then I, we don't see the technical again. So at that point, the officer in charge of my platoon who's with me, he goes, okay, hey, everybody over in that direction is bad. They're obviously shooting at us. So find someone if they have a weapon or something and shoot them. So we're like, okay, game on. Now we're going to get after it. Start looking around, looking around. Uh, one of my spotters says that he can see a guy uh, in, you know, 
like a wire fence and and with an AK-47. I'm like, oh, here we go. So he's talking me into it, and he's looking through 10 power binos, and I've got some better binoculars than he does, and the talk-on is taking forever. And finally, we established that what he was he thought was a guy with an AK-47 was a trash bag that was hung up in Constantina wire around one of the fighting positions that they'd they'd argued about, you know, for a while. But it was crazy. He was convinced it was a person with an AK-47. So that winds down. Things quiet out. And then we just stop taking fire for the next hour. Then. We see like seven guys and they're patrolling through this camp 600 yards to our south. Three of them have got rocket propelled grenades. One of them has got a uh, PKM, which is a big belt fed machine gun. It's like our uh, M60 and the rest of them have got AK-47s and they're walking in a line. They're doing a, a, a singular patrol. And, uh, so I tell the OIC, I'm like, Hey, I got, we, we've got some targets here. They're moving toward us. And he's like, uh, okay, well, wait, let's see what they're going to do. So we kind of calmed down now. And, and then, you know, back in the nineties, we hadn't been at war. And so our thresholds for killing people were set really high. So these guys walk all the way out through the camp and at the very front of that camp facing in our direction are what was like the guard shack for access to that camp along the runway. And there were two C-shaped sandbag positions that were set up along that camp facing us where the guards would, could hide behind the sandbags. They all come into the middle of those sandbags. There's a guy, he's wearing a gray a army shirt right it's gray shirt says army across the front he's got a rocket propelled grenade that he's carrying and he's obviously the guy in charge because he's pointing at guys and he's telling them to go here and go there then he starts pointing down right in our direction so guy with the peak the pkm the big belt fed machine gun sets up in one of the positions the other guy sets up in the other uh you know in the other position and he takes the the rocket propelled grenade and he's puts it to his shoulder and he is looking at us through the sights. And so our leading, my leading petty officer, he says to the OIC and this is my direct leadership. He goes, Hey, Hey, they're preparing to fire on, on us. And you know, we need to get him before he shoots that rocket. And the OIC goes, tells us, okay, you're cleared hot. So I am leveled up on this i have my my 50 cal sniper rifle rested on the sandbags i've got a really kind of i didn't janky shooting position and so i'm kind of wobbly and this is the first time i've ever shot at a human being so i shoot boom now our old 50 cal sniper rifles you had to knock the bolt open pull the entire bolt out of the weapon knock out the expended brass grab a new round stuff it in there reload shoot again it 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 it, it was kind of a process so i shoot i look to my spotter who happened to be and he wasn't a trained spotter he was just a, another one of the seals because there were only two snipers in my platoon the other sniper was in another position and so he was just about two feet to my left on the sandbags right in the perfect spot to eat all the back blast from the 50 cal because it's, it's got a big muzzle break on the end so that it does it, you know, so that the recoil doesn't break your collarbone and it ports all those gases backwards. And I look over to, to, to get like, get him to give me a call. And he's like, ah, he's got sand in his eyes and the dang spotting scope is fall falling over. And so, uh, I'm like, did I hit? And behind me, Monty Treesize is watching through a little set of, of uh, and he's he was my LPO. He's looking through binos, and he's like, no, you missed. And and I'm like, well, can you give me a correction? And he's like, uh, I can't. Okay, so right now, I've got no correction. For all I know, I could be off by like half a mile. I'm really starting to doubt myself. I reload another round. I get hard on the weapon. I push in. I lock in in a little harder. 
you know, they taught us to, you know, to, to control the adrenaline will control our breathing. So I start pacing my breathing and I'm looking. And so downrange and all this has happened in a matter of seconds, right? Downrange, the guy with the gray army shirt is kind of startled because I didn't miss him by much. And he's looking around and then he, he's facing me square on and he's got that rocket propelled grenade shouldered and he's getting ready to shoot it. I discharge the, the round the recoil takes me off the weapon as i'm coming back i'm knocking that bass open and reloading and i'm yelling for a correction and our comms guy our communication guy had grabbed his binos and tucked in on the sandbags next to me just a little further down so the back blast wouldn't get him and he is looking through the binos and he goes oh god damn and i'm like hey where did i hit and he goes dang basically and i'm like where did i hit i hit him and he is he's not even hearing me so i'm like dude give me a correction and he goes i'm i'm thinking he's gonna say bro you missed by like half a mile i have no idea what to tell you and the next words out of his mouth is like he goes he is down oh that had to hurt so i'm like okay my my gun is dialed in I'm good. Reload the next round. And as I'm looking down there, now we're starting to hear gawk, 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 gawk. This is, is the quick snaps, but it's obviously from that PKM, which is the belt-fed machine gun. It's like a 30-caliber 30, 30 belt-fed machine gun. And so I swing over. I look at them, and here's the C-shaped sandbags. And all I can see is this big muzzle flash. That's it. So what do I do? I figure I'll put the crosshairs right in the middle of that muzzle flash. Because he's got to be behind it. I shoot, reload, recoil takes me off, off the, you know, bumps me back, reloading, come back up, look, and I'm looking, and there's, I, I'm looking where he was on the sandbag, and there's this big divot caught out of the sandbag, and the gun, the PKM, is spilled over the front of the sandbags, and it's just a mess, basically. And off to the left side of the sandbags, there's the shooter, and He's just it, the round must have hit the gun, exploded and started to expand because it almost ripped him in two. And he's there looking at all of his guts and his guts had sprung out of him like those those uh, novelty snakes coming out of the can of cookies. Boing, boing, boing. They're everywhere. So he's like just holding him for a second and then he's dead. And then. Somebody yells, everybody get down. And I figure, okay, well, that sounds like a good idea. So I get down, I'm behind the sandbags, we're all behind the sandbags, and then shoo, sounds like a jet is flying over us. This rocket propelled grenade maybe was a meter over the top of our position. Shoo, goes back out, air bursts uh, a couple 400 yards behind us. And then there's a big, steady thump, 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 thump dump, dump, like the double bass drum in a Slayer song, and I pop my head back up, and this Jeep has shown up right now, so there's this red Jeep down there, and there it's got uh, a 12.7, and I think it's like 50 caliber, you know, it's a 51 caliber, it's a big gun mounted in the back, and all I can see is the gunner just going, gunk, 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 and I'm lucky because all his rounds are high, because those things would have been coming straight to the sandbags and done us all in. So, uh, now I'm a little bit more nervous. You know, I'm like, geez, I think we've really grabbed a tiger by the tail here. I rush a shot at the gunner. I wind up hitting the sidewall of the Jeep down between the gunner's legs. And I, I, you know, I don't know if I wounded anybody, but it was enough for them to get that Jeep out of there. So the Jeep takes off. And now the other, what was it, five guys, they're now doing what we call a, a peel, which is a tactic. And, and, you know, these guys were really tactically savvy, as you would guess, probably, because all they do is fight there. And so they're they're doing a peel deeper into that that base that they'd come out the front of them. And what that is, is they're all shooting, and then one guy will run from one end to the other, fall in. They are all shooting, and then the next guy, and it's like a big Indian run that they're doing to fall back to a further position. So they're moving, and as they're doing this... Uh, my LPO has got the range card that I developed before I went in there. And he's like, okay, hey, Jason there, you need to adjust your scope right now. They're, they're now at 600 yards. So I dial up. I can see them moving. I shoot at a runner. 
Um, I hit way behind him. Then they, they keep moving and they're peeling towards this building that winds up being 700 yards away. So I, there's another scope adjustment. I'm shooting at another runner as he's running. I hit behind him again and they all peel behind the building. So now I just got my crosshairs holding on the corner of this building. So this will be great because I can look at the camera. And so here's what, here's what I see. So, so you got, this is the, is it frozen your end? Uh, yeah. I don't know if he's walked too far away. Uh, oh. Yeah, no, I'm back. <laughs> this guy walked back out and my crosshairs are resting on his pelvis when I start to load the trigger, right? As I'm loading the trigger, he takes a knee to shoot his rocket propel grenade, putting the crosshairs on his sternum. Boom! The spotter. Now, we're shooting a Raufus multi-purpose round. And what it is, is an explosive 50 cal round. So it's just not a bullet. It's got a tungsten steel penetrator with a composition B explosive inside of it. And it's made to, to puncture armor. And usually when you hit people, it just goes, you know, it's going to just go straight through them, not detonate. But when it hits a sternum, the thing detonated. And, uh, and so then he went, he went down straight away. And then, uh, and then that was after that little firefight. So there, there you have it. It was uh, pretty crazy. Good stuff, a good, good exposure. And, um, we did, we did pretty well. I, I think, you know, in, in that none of us were wounded and we all lived. Uh, then they, they, they sent a kid, like a 10 year old kid came out and picked up the rocket, the, the launcher. Mm. And I'm not sure if somebody did that to him to see if they, we would shoot him or, or what was up with that. But you know, like a, yeah, we're not going to shoot the kid. You, it's, you don't even have a rock RPG in it. And maybe it was just a kid that came by to do it or, Maybe someone told him. Who who knows? So <clears throat> that afternoon was pretty mellow. There was there was another guy that I shot at that was out in uh there was a big cinder block wall that surrounded the runway. And there was a cinder block missing, and there was this guy that would stick his head through there and shoot at uh and anytime the, the hovercrafts are coming into the beach. So I, I shot at him and I wound up hitting the cinder block right next to where the hole was because it, you know, it was 700 yards away. There was quite a bit of wind and, uh, didn't make that shot. Now the next day we get a call from the Marine Colonel who we were working under. And he said that, Hey, there is a guy with an anti-take weapon and it was one of these Somalis that it, somehow he had an AT4, which is uh, an 84 millimeter proje projectile, and it's it's one of our anti-armor weapons. And he had one, and he was occupying, he, he was standing on top, top of a set of bunkers that was like a couple hundred yards from where our lines were. And they'd been shooting at him and he would hide and come back out. And the fear was they're like, hey, this guy's waiting for when we start to move our armor around and he's going to shoot at our armor. The other sniper was too far away. So they sent um, they sent an armored vehicle down to pick up me and the my OIC. And then we went to meet the colonel. He said, hey, this guy is at this position. I'm going to have you get up in this tower where there are some recon Marines. They'll let you know where the guy is. And what we want you to do is shoot at him. Hopefully you hit him. If you don't, we're going to have there. He's going to go into this bunker and we're going to move a bunch of vehicles around with some, you know, bigger guns on them. They had like 25 millimeter coax cannons or something, and they're going to tear the bunker apart. Like, okay, Roger that. So we go, we head up in the tower. Um, you know, this is this is like a three-story tower at one point, but the top had been blown off of it, so it's it's two stories now. And there's a bunch of uh, a battalion recon marines. Who, you know, they were on the ship with us. I knew them, and uh, 
So we went and linked up with them and they, they pointed out where this bunker complex was. And so I look at my map and I'm like, ah, dang, it's a thousand yards away. And there's, there's a, uh, a consistent 20 mile an hour wind blowing full value right to left. And so I'm like, okay. Uh, so I get, get my, my rifle, um, all, all bunkered in. So I got a good solid shooting position and then we're just, it's a waiting game. We're waiting for him to come out. They're like, Hey, the guy will come out. He's with like seven other guys or, and, uh, they'll stand around, smoke cigarettes, and then they'll go back down in the bunker. So I bum a dip off the guys. We're just up there shooting the shit. Um, and they're like, Oh, okay. He's coming up. You know, he comes up. So I get on my rifle and I've got a perfect position. I, I am just locked in on him. A lot of wind. I dial for the, this 20 miles an hour of wind. You know, this is a thousand yard shot. Shoot. Now, at the time, there's probably two or three people in the world that can make a shot like this without computers and all the other aids that we have today and that kind of wind blowing. And I'm not one of them. I missed and hit his buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so according to the spotter i shoot one of the guys standing three feet to the right of the guy with the at4 that i was aiming at standing and he's just standing there smoking a cigarette with his you know ak-47 wham it downs him and then they all ran down in the bunker to which case the Marines just dunk, 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 dunk all the coax guns on their light armored vehicles, tore it up. Then, uh, then the dust settled. And then the guy with the AT four got out and ran away without the AT four. And now that was it. That was it for that. But that, that was, uh, that was my first couple days combat experience back in the nineties when there wasn't a whole lot of combat going on. And I, I would like to say now, Jason, that is not a mellow afternoon. by any by any stretch of the imagination that is not mellow that's uh yeah that's uh that's that's quite a i suppose uh a nice a nice uh entry into to the world of firefights not not completely crazy just a nice uh a nice little entry into what was to come yeah yep yeah um especially as you said because at that time you know the U.S. forces didn't have much experience in full combat, you know, from the back end of Vietnam up until that point. There hadn't been any serious major engagements, had there? So you had Panama, which didn't last all that long. Grenada, which didn't last that long. And so, and, and then, the you know, obviously 93 in Somalia was kind of, was, was like a horrible day, but it was, two days and not a lot of people were exposed to it not to you know two decades of war now yeah. um yeah. so it's changed because obviously uh, during that time the british military were pretty much consistently involved over in northern ireland so we're used to that kind of urban style of combat you know going street to street urban environment as you were saying young kids involved you know, you don't know who's a hostile, who's just a guy walking to go and buy a paper and a, a pint of milk. Uh, yeah, um, it's, it's had, a different, different situation. I had an uncle who was in uh, Northern Ireland and then in Bosnia, so that was uh-huh. his two deployments in, in in the British Army. So they were constantly, you know, seeing action to some degree. So, how how different was the everything from? Somalia, Jason, to uh, you know, Iraq, Afghanistan, weapons and everything. Was everything massively improved by by the time you deployed to you know Iraq and Afghanistan? Oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, everyone had night vision. We had really, really good night vision. Um, you know, our weapons had improved to where you know at that point we had a magazine fed. 50 cal sniper rifle and you didn't have to drag everything out uh the communications was better it 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 was just you know we're decades decades ahead of where we were um back in the 90s yeah it's um 
good thing, I guess. I suppose. Uh, I suppose. I suppose. Uh, like you know, how how would how like the Somalis were they real primitive or were they you know kind of similar to um, the Taliban or, or a little bit more advanced or? Yeah, I I would say as fighter wise because these guys have grown up fighting that mm-hmm. they were they were probably just as skilled and just as just as tenacious as as any of them. You know, their only limiting factor was they didn't uh they did not have the technology that we did, you know, so they didn't have aircraft overhead and which is which is huge leg up obviously. Um but other than that, they were just as cunning and crafty and intelligent as anybody else would was or is. Yeah. Definitely. So, was and and any of these, um, you know, when when uh, you know an RPG goes over your head, is there any time during that that you think, oh shit, this may this this may be it? Is there any any of those thoughts? Are you just there doing your job? Think about that later. Yeah. So it in the moment it occurs to you like, oh, okay. I almost got shot or I almost got hit or I, I got, I had a, a rocket propel grenade hit a wall in a fighting position that I was in and knock me out. And so, you know, there, there I am, I'm shooting out a window. And then the next, next thing, you know, I'm like, why am I laying on the floor and the whole room's full of dust and my rifles over there? Cause I've dropped it. Um, and, and then you're just like, okay, I'll get back up. You know, it's probably similar to getting knocked out as a boxer or whatever it's it's similar to my experiences anyway when i've been knocked out getting hit over the head by a billy club being a jerk in the middle of the streets you know it's like oh, i'm up swinging at somebody and the next thing you know my perspective is face down on the cement and my arms are wrenched behind me and i'm getting handcuffed okay but uh yeah they're uh, uh, you, you ready for another story Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we <laughs> we had this operation in Afghanistan, and it, it was pretty typical for what we did there. We were going in, and there were some Taliban leaders supposedly living in in a couple of compounds that we were going to go hit, and then we were going to hold them for a day or two over a cycle of daylight and just stay there. And so we have the element surprise. We Try. We'd always get in or get inserted by helicopters along, you know, like four to six kilometers away, so that hopefully the people on the compounds that we're going after don't realize that we're coming for them and and all leave, or you know, get ready for us to come. So we have the element of surprise. So we should insert on this operation way back in the hills. And the helicopters take off and we start patrolling towards the target and we see these trucks come out of from the direction of the 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 village area where we were going to hit these compounds. And these Taliban, this truck, this, we could see the trucks go out, stop, and then we could see guys get out with flashlights and they're like looking around and they're out looking for us. So we see them stop a ways off. And then we, we continue with our patrol and then they come toward us and they stop maybe a couple hundred yards away. And so we just kind of hunker down on the little hillside that we were on and the guys dismounted with their flashlights and they're looking for us and they're walking around their arms. So, you know, immediately we're aggressive. So we, we, we organize a couple fire teams to go and kill them. And, uh, We're just getting ready to push the fire teams out from our patrol to go hit them when one of the the officers, one of the OICs of the the two platoons that was there mentioned like, hey, we didn't come here to shoot these guys. We could compromise ourselves. They're not the target. Let's just ignore them and head toward the target. So we just let them live. We watched and then kept patrolling towards the target because that was right. It's easy to get, it's really easy to get sucked into stuff that doesn't matter out there in the field. And it almost happened to us. They go, they go out and we start doing our patrol during the target. And on the way there, we run into two in two separate occasions, guys that are just out standing around in the middle of the night. 
and they're not armed. They're obviously Taliban and they, you know, they'd heard the helicopters. They'll all talk by radios and they probably all wandered out, to see if they could see us. So we snatched those guys up and what our, our standard operating procedure was when we'd run across somebody out in the middle of the night that wasn't supposed to be there is we'd have some rigors tape with us, which is the same as duct tape. Okay. And they get their hands duct tape behind their back. They would get a nice roll of duct tape all around their head, which we called a happy hat. And we'd put a handle on it too. And then we would duct tape their eyes and we would just make them walk behind us. And we would bring them with us for about, you know, 600 yards and then tape, set them down, tape their feet up and have through the turp like, Hey, don't move until the sun comes up because we're going to be watching you. And we patrol off and just leave them there. And obviously like 20 minutes later, they're going to undo their hands and their feet and, uh, you know, be able to get loose, but we'll be long gone. And so that was like, that was the best way to deal with just like basically a combat combatant who isn't a non-combatant, but he is, but you just, not armed so that's just how we dealt with it it worked great we get we get to the compounds that we're clearing we we find a decent cache of weapons there and this this compound that we were going to hold was kind of problematic because it didn't have any high ground or dominating terrain feature that we could also take to be able to defend it so we all we had was the rooftops of that compound and there were some areas where we could only see out like 60 yards and that's that's pretty dang close so as we're setting up our defensive perimeter and we're we're filling sandbags and making our fighting positions up on the rooftops our eod guys go out and they go into these blind spots that that were there and they found like trails and they put booby trapped pop flares out there so if someone was trying to sneak up on us the flares would go up so sun comes up it's pretty mellow not much is going on the taliban we, we can see some guys like trying to to, to spot on us but you know there's no real gunfire all the women and children and the compounds near us they all clear out and it's just kind of mellow till about eight or nine nah, i was a little bit later than that maybe 10 11 in the morning and then the aircraft that we had overhead they're like hey we can see people moving into high ground uh, a high ground position around you and we can see some other guys starting to stage in a field just past you guys where you can't see and we're like okay check so we get ready and then boom all this machine gun fire kicks off they they, they start shooting rocket propelled grenades at us now we got an f-18 overhead which is watching the guys with the rocket propelled grenades it does a gun run over the the top of their position on this hilltop and just stitches them all up which is super it's really cool when the aircraft are doing gun runs and we're just in this big this big big firefight and then the you know the pop flares that we'd laid out there for guys coming in closer they start going up and we're getting hand grenades lobbed in toward us so it we're shooting it's it's a pretty good pretty good um little firefight and i remember one of the guys next to me he was one of the comms guys he had a bullet whiz past his head and i'm like hey man you gotta watch out uh i think somebody's shooting right at you and he looks at me and he goes oh my gosh do you think it's personal <laughs> <laughs> as, as he's shooting back so we get aircraft in it they hammer all the taliban down stuff gets down and then there's just a little bit of gunfire, a little bit of gunfire there. Stuff really quiets down in the afternoon. And then go the uh, one of the guys up in a fighting position. I'd, I'd rotated out of a fighting position and I was down on the uh, in uh, uh, in the compound now, like getting something to eat. And they're like, hey, we got a guy that's shooting at us over here. Boom. And they're like, oh, we got him. He's down. So I go up to their fighting position. And I'm like, where is he? And they're pointing. He's like, he's right. He's right there. It's just over on that hill. 
So I tell the task unit commander, I say, I want to grab two guys and we'll go and find that body and see see if he's got radios or any actual intel on him or anything like that. And he goes, okay. So we tell everybody, hey, we're going out. So we go out the, the, the doors of the compound and walk around the corner and in the dang compounds there, it's just like this crazy maze of walls and things. And so we thought it would be right around the corner. We wound up going a little bit further away than I would have liked from our original compound. And as we're making our way there, I am patrolling with my scar heavy, which is a FN rifle that we had and the buck stuck folded. And I thought it would be kind of sexy and cool looking to patrol with the buttstock folded over instead of it locked out like how it should have been. So I'm walking in front. I have the two guys behind me. We turn a corner and we're walking up this little alleyway and there's a hill up there. And all of a sudden I hear whack. And I look and there's a guy standing on that hill and he's shooting at me. So I lock my weapon out and immediately regret my decision not to have that, um, buttstock open because I can't get a solid shooting position. So I just tried to pin the rifle out on the sling, shoot at him, crack because I had the buttstock, uh, folded the, uh, weapon short stroked. So it didn't cycle all the way and it jammed. I took a knee. He, I, I didn't miss him by much. So he, he, he takes off and then I had to clear the jam basically unfuck myself and get back up and ready to fight. And he'd pushed out and, uh, got away. So that was a little surprising. And I think we found him the next day on our extract. Cause there was a guy that had got shot in the leg. So I, what happened was they shot him in the leg. They didn't kill him. Um, and then, you know, I served myself up to get shot at and luckily he missed me. So that was pretty funny. And you know, you know what else is kind of funny there is, they lock all their animals up in in the compounds at night with them, so it's, you know they don't go out and get lost or somebody steals them or something. So when we occupied this compound, there were like three cows in the compound, and they 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 were like their pets, you know. They had like decorations on their horns, and their hooves were painted, and they had little bells and stuff. So we pushed the cows out of the compound, and left the doors open and one of the cows kept coming back in and she would come back in and get into things. And so there were, there were some guys that were like not on, on watch, but they were just, you know, resting. So they, they had their gear off. They, they were over there eating undercover and, and this cow comes in and she's looking around and she's sniffing at their gear and she grabs a guy's uh, assault gear and picks it up and then goes running around the compound. So here we are. This guy is chasing this cow around the compound, trying to get his deer gear back. And so he jumps on her, which is a bad idea. Cows are pretty strong animals. She just slings him. Boom. He, she drops his stuff and the, the cow runs off. And then we wound up having to stink and close the gate which we had people in another position out that came back, but we just couldn't keep that cow out of there. Pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> almost an entire operation and almost, almost defeated by a cow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You want to tell me how so-and-so uh, broke his uh, femur? Um, well, you mean after he was riding the cow? <laughs> <laughs> that, was not in, that was not in the details of the operation. <laughs> no, no. Uh, yeah, we had to come up with a plan. Yeah. <laughs> and was that the last time uh, you ever patrolled with your uh, buttstock collapsed? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, you know, you got to watch out because you you wind up being a soldier of fashion sometimes, and you think, man, this really looks cool. It's a dumb idea. Inside a vehicle, it's nice to have that buttstock folded up, but outside patrolling, just stupid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, anything anything that keeps you alive a little easier is probably the cool way to do it, right? Yes, that's that's what I'm saying. It's like, hey, when I'm out there riding my horse, I wear a stinking helmet because I I had to think about this. You know, what am I out by wearing a helmet? And all I'm out is 
my vanity is bruised a little bit, but that's it. And the, the upside is if I get tossed and, and hit my noggin on a rock or something like that, I'll live. So yeah. screw it. I'll wear a, wear a helmet when I ride. I so, do the exact same when I go skiing. Uh, I'm not a very good skier, but whenever yeah. I've been out skiing, all my friends uh, don't wear a helmet. And I'm like, why? Like, I, I, like, I've got too many things to do and I've been hitting the head enough. So I, I don't need any more. It's funny because when you were, talk, when you were talking about um, uh, like not knowing where you were um, in, in the room, and like being a boxer, the, the only time I ever got put on my backside boxing was in a fight. And uh, I, got, I got dropped by a big, uh, big super heavyweight right in the chin. Uh-huh. And oh. I got up. And the first thing I can remember is a referee standing over me going, six, seven, eight. <laughs> I can remember getting up. I can, can remember getting up and looking at one of my friends. And he was, fucking get up. So I look, got up. And the referee says, are you okay? And you go, yeah, I'm fine. And, uh, you know, the fight went on. Uh, it, got, it got stopped about a minute later. And afterwards, everybody was saying, you know, that was that was bullshit, man. You there's nothing wrong with you. You looked fine. Everything was good. And I was like, like I had no idea what was going on. No idea. All I went was, okay, hold on, Tom, and see what happens. And uh, every, you know, but everybody else is saying, yeah, you looked fine. I was not. I had no idea what was going on. Yeah. <laughs> so, but you know, you 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 try and pretend that you do, but you don't. Yeah. Have you no, ever I, have you, you ever been you... Uh, choked out, Jason, when you do jujitsu? Oh yeah, because uh, that yeah, happened I, it, happened to me a while back. The, the one time it went really bad, and the guy that was doing it, uh, Dean Cook, shout out to Big Dean, um, it put me in a triangle when we were just drilling. So I went, you know, like deep into it to let him try it, and I hadn't warmed up because I wasn't supposed to be practicing that day because I was kind of holding on to a bit of a knee injury. So I went in cold. I was like, yeah, you've just not quite get it. Just turn around a little bit. And the next thing I remember was our uh, instructor John holding on to me going you're okay and I'm like yeah I know I'm okay why are you holding me and then I looked around and everyone was like pointing and I was like ah shit I went out didn't I and Dean's face was in a pure panic because he'd never choked anyone unconscious before he's like I, I, I thought I thought you were joking because you were snoring and you're such a fucking wind up merchant I thought you were like oh yeah pure t-. and I, I just completely gone and Dean genuinely was like I, I thought I'd killed you and I was like why is John holding me like you're okay I was like yeah I know I'm okay get off me you freak and then realised no I had been you, unconscious. You had went out. Yeah. So funny. Oh. Everybody needs to learn that, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's there. Uh, you know, I was telling that story earlier about this. This is way back in the shoot. It is 1990. And we're in the Philippines and gotten into a. I, I don't need to go into the details, but let's just suffice it to say there's like. 15 seals in the middle of Maxaisai Boulevard and we're in a fight with shore patrol. And so I'm fighting with this shore patrol guy. And then, like you said, um, all of a sudden now I'm, my perspective is, is instead of looking at him, I'm down on, on the cement and I'm like, gosh, what am I doing down here? And there's a knee in my back and I'm getting cuffed and then I get picked up and loaded into a paddy wagon and they caught another guy that was with me and it happened to be his 21st birthday. And that's why we were all, we were really burning it. And, uh, this guy is a strong dude, big power lifter and everything. And so they put him in the paddy wagon next to me and they just put us in the paddy wagon, but we're not handcuffed to the seats. So it's driving, it's driving. And then it stops because the paddy wagon's like at a stoplight or something. He gets up and he kicks open the door. Boom! Door flies open and he's gone. And the guys driving, they hear that and they bail out. So I'm sitting back there and I go, oh, shoot. All right, I'm out of here too. I jump out of the paddy wagon and make like three steps. Bang! I get hit on the head again and clobbered again. And at that point, I'm like, okay, I'm just cooperating with you the rest of the night. Take me to the drunk tank and I'll uh, I'll sleep this one off. <laughs> uh, so it's all good fun when you get uh, some serious blows to the head. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's quite funny. <laughs> it's that, um, that moment where you're going, why am I on the floor? Yeah. <laughs> what is going on? What, what happened? Oh, yes. man. Yeah, I think you'll have some funny. coffee. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, and I'm going to not have some alcohol for a while, right? Uh, That's right. Never again. Uh, yeah, it's always a bad idea. Um, uh, it's uh, are we are we still are you okay for time, Jason? I think we've done yeah. like an hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. You still cool? Okay, okay. Um, had yeah, you just so... just doubling back a little bit, Jason, on some of the stories. Had was the navy something you always wanted to get into from like a young kid? Was there a background to you joining the navy and and ending up a seal? Did it just look fucking awesome? Like what was the story with with uh, you joining up before even your that first deployment? My, so my dad was a marine, and I I remember when I was like seven years old, I it was really torn on what I wanted to do with my life because I really really loved the outdoors, and so part of me wanted to get some kind of job where I would be in the outdoors, like being a ranger or being an ecologist or a scientist of some kind, um, in, in some kind of life sciences. And then, um, the other part of me really had thought that the military was appealing and, and it's at seven, I decided, you know what, I'm going to do the military first. That's something that I wanted to do. So, I kind of had my heart set on, or I did, I was going to join the Marine Corps and then I was taking a, a martial art called Kaju Kempo um, when I was in in middle school and into high school, and one of my instructors was a SEAL in Vietnam. And there wasn't a, a lot of info out about the SEALs, but my parents are like, holy cow, did you know that your your instructor here was, was a Navy SEAL? And I'm like, what the heck is that? You know, do they do mammals or something? And they said, no, they're like the Naval Special Forces are really cool. And so I did a little more research on it of what I could that was available. And that, you know, the maritime aspect of it, because I did grow up on the beach, I swam and played water polo. I'm like, oh, this, this is, this is for me. This is what I want to do. And, and so when I enlisted, the intent was I would just do four or six years and get out. And then I just kept re-enlisting. I actually did get out at one point. Um, when my first wife wanted me to get out and then, you know, it just, our, our marriage didn't work out. And as soon as it was done, I came right back on active duty. Yeah, it seems that's... like, um, it seems like you 100% found your calling in life. Yeah. Um, if there's ever, um, if there's ever any, any, any civil war in, in the UK, uh, I'm phoning, uh, I'm phoning you. You seem like the guy that I want on my side. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen anybody so comfortable with violence. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Shoot. Yeah. So hey, there was one thing there was one thing that occurred to me here when we were just talking about drinking, and it was advice that I gave my oldest son. And I and uh you know, typically I, I'm a beer drinker. And where I run into trouble is when somebody comes around with the tray of shots and they're like, Hey, we all got to do shots because everyone gets so excited. It's really difficult to say, yeah, I'm not doing a shot. It's, it's, it's almost impossible. And so I can remember, um, being in Las Vegas at, at, and I was like 33 years old, I think. And it was the same, same thing. We're all out drinking. It's going good. I'm pacing myself just right. And then somebody buys a round of shots and one turns into two turns into three and then the next thing you know, I'm I'm hugging the toilet, just throwing my guts up, wondering, I'm 33 years old. Why am I doing this all the time? Uh-huh. So I developed this standard operating procedure for when the shots come around. They're like, hey, we're doing shots. And I go, all right, give me a shot. Woohoo, yeah, that's great. Awesome. Let's all do shots. Woohoo. And I spill the whole thing. No one <laughs> will ever notice. And then you just, ooh, you down it, and you're like, ah, that was awesome. Put it down, and you're good to go. You've done your little social bit, so everyone feels good about doing the shot together. But later on, you won't be, like, wrapping your car around a telephone pole or hugging the toilet, praying at the porcelain so, altar, as they say. So um, last year, uh, Jason, just because you mentioned shots, uh, last year I was in uh, uh, Portugal with a, a buddy of mine. We went away for a long weekend, uh-huh. and uh, we were uh, we were in this in this some bar, and there was a, a one of those punch machines. So my buddy says, "I'm going to I'm going to hit that, uh, you know, full of full of uh, full of beers, and I'm going to hit that." And I said, uh, he's, and he's, you know, "Have a shot." I said, "I don't like hitting those things. I'm fucking not doing it." And have a shot. Have a shot. Said, okay, so I, I hit it, 
and break the record. <laughs> and he says, do it again! So I hit that again and I broke my own record. By this oh. time, there's all, there's all these Portuguese like bar staff and they're all saying, they're all starting to watch. So then I keep trying to break my own record. So I've got like 960, 970. And then they all go, fuck, we've, we've, we've never seen this before. Have some Sambuca. No, uh, okay. So I'm drinking Sambuca and after Sambuca, after Sambuca. So my friend, he still has it on his phone. He has a picture of me that night lying on the balcony in my own pizza, face down. Just oh. groaning. Uh, uh. <laughs> so, yeah, I, you, you I, have I, to. I feel your pain when you're on this on the show. It's just a terrible idea when you're in your thirties. <laughs> you have to. You have to do it though, don't you? You have to go through the point of doing that regularly to then go. Actually, no, I can't do that anymore. I can't do that. Do you know anymore. what I mean? You can't. You can't have not done it ever. You have to have experienced it, don't you? Of course. Yeah, yeah that seems to be the case with me. I, I wish that I was able to... There's a lot of advice people give out, and, and I guess at some point, you're like, yeah, I'll take your advice that that's a bad idea, but it's, it isn't the case when you're a young man, and I guess that's how you know we just push the envelope. Of course. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> talking, about, talking about drinking story, um, I spent 